Well, this is going to be kind of a transition Sunday. We've been in a series on the New Covenant, and we're going to move into a series on how we should respond to the New Covenant. You know, out in the working world, the business world, people strive for years to attain a certain title or a certain position or a certain level of income. And I think that many people view Christianity the same way. They, they view it as climbing the ladder of success, striving to gain spiritual recognition, status, and acceptance. But God does things radically different than the world. First, God gives you the title, the position, and the riches of his grace. Then, he says, now go live in a manner worthy or a manner consistent with what I have given you. Ephesians 4.1, which Mark just read for us, Paul says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. The ESV says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So, you and I are commanded to live on the basis of something that we have already received. And this just goes so counter, this is so counterintuitive to human logic that it really takes a revelation for you and I to get our arms around this and to really think this way. But the book of Ephesians begins, it doesn't, it doesn't end, it begins by saying God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Not that he will bless you or maybe he will bless you, he has. The book starts out, he has forgiven you according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon you. God has brought you into his household. He already calls you saints and sons. He calls you his dearly beloved children. Then, and only then, he says, now, live as such. Live as saints and sons. Not in order to, be, order to become those things, but because you are those things. Live like people who have grace, who have forgiveness, and who have love lavished upon you. Not to gain those things, but because you have those things. Watchman Nee, who was a China, Chinese person, um, many, many years ago wrote a book called Sit, Walk, Stand, which is a very brief little summary of the book of Ephesians. And he, and he used those three words from the book of Ephesians to create the message for his book. Sit, walk, and stand. First, we have been raised up to sit in the heavenly realm. Then we are to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. And finally, we are to stand firm in the day of evil. And that's really a very simple but very accurate outline of the book of Ephesians. And the order is important. God made you first to sit with him. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved you or loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, 
made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So he takes you, a sinner, a person dead in sin, a moral failure, an offender of God, a breaker of God's laws, a spiritual outcast, alone and without God in the world, and he makes you alive and seats you right there next to him in Christ. And as Christ, I mean, the reality of this is that as Christ is seated at the Father's right hand, so are you. You are, you are right there with God, seated next to him in Christ. I don't know how you could communicate any other way or any more powerful way that, that you, have, you made it. You're not climbing this ladder of success. You've made it. You have arrived. You've, you've made it to the top of Mount Everest, so to speak. You are, in this sense, already in heaven at the very pinnacle of spiritual heights. So what can you do to get more spiritual than being seated with God in heaven? What can you do to get more accepted? What can you do to get closer to God? You can't get any nearer. You can't get any higher. You can't get any more privileged than this. So everything starts with sitting down. Everything starts with sitting down to enjoy what God has done for us. Again, you start with the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. You start with the highest spiritual status imaginable, seated with God in Christ. You start with the full measure of love, acceptance, and forgiveness. You start with the riches of his grace, with sainthood. You are not striving, hoping that God may receive you. These are rock-solid possessions that you possess already. Your daily walk, then, is inspired by the riches of his grace. Your daily walk flows out of this full measure of acceptance from the immensity of his love for you, which you already have. Watchman Nee, in his book, Sit, Walk, Stand, makes the point that most Christians try to walk before they sit. In other words, we try to do things for God in order to be able to sit with God. We try to make points with God in order to win a seat of acceptance. We try to do enough to gain God's favorable opinion. But Christianity starts not with trying to do something, not trying to attain something, but by grace being given a seat right next to the Father in Christ. It starts by sitting. And probably the one quote that Watchman Nee is most famous for is this, Christianity begins not with a big do, but with a big done. Before we emphasize our walk, before we emphasize good works and doing things for the Lord, we must first, in a sense, relax and sit down to discover and enjoy being blessed, chosen, and honored in Christ. 
You know, when the prodigal son came home, and I think probably everybody here is familiar with that story, so I'm not going to recite the story for you. But when the prodigal son came home, was he first given a list of chores to do? Was he first, did the father first tell him, hey, get back out in the fields and make up for some of this lost time that you wasted while you were out there? You know, my Bible says that the father brought out the best robe in the house. He put it on his son. He put a ring on his finger and he said, bring out the fattened calf. Let's have a feast and celebrate. That's how the relationship begins. That's the foundation of the relationship. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now is found. So they began to celebrate. That's a quote right from the story. Serving his father, serving the father will come. But the father said first, we had to celebrate and be glad. And if you know the story, you know, the older, the older son didn't like it that they threw, had this big feast and celebration. And that's what the father said to him. He said, first we had to celebrate and be glad. Before we become workers for the Lord, we have to learn that the Father celebrates over us. We have to learn that he is glad to have us home. And I'm, I, don't, I think there's some people that have never got that yet. The Father is glad to have you, glad to have you home. We have to learn that his heart is to bring out the best robe, and put it on us, to bring out this fantastic ring and put it on our finger, sandals on our feet, to bring out the fattened calf for us. And in terms of the gospel, or in the terms that that the gospel says the same thing to us in Ephesians, he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. He has lavished upon us the riches of his grace. And only after we are clear on that are we really ready to do this walk thing that we're going to talk about this morning. Only after we're clear on this are we really ready to go serve him and work for him and labor for him. So how are we to live in response to these enormous blessings of the new covenant? And you know, I hope you've been with us over the past few months as we've covered the series on the New, new Covenant or listened to, to the messages. I mean, the blessings and riches are just enormous. I've been a Christian for many years, and I'm thrilled to the very bottom of my heart uh, to review these again and again. Well, verse 1 of chapter 4 says, We are to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. So if you want to know how am I to respond to all the blessings, the enormous blessings of the new covenant, we are to walk in a manner worthy of these blessings or of our calling. The word worthy literally means having the same weight or value. So our walk or the way that we live, you know, the, literally the word means our walk, how we, how we walk, but, but the real understanding of it is, is uh, like the NIV says, how we live. Our walk or the way that we live life should have the same weight or value as our calling. In other words, 
they should match. Okay? The, these enormous blessings that you've received, there should be something about the way that you live and walk that should match up with these enormous blessings. There should be a sameness about your calling and how you live. And don't don't press this too far, but people should look at you and say, that person lives like a saint. They're called a saint, and there's something about the way that they live that matches up with that. Uh, that person's life on earth matches or corresponds to their heavenly calling. They are, they are called by God, they're saved, uh, they're seated with Christ in the heavens, and they're, they're, there's something about the way that that person lives. There's something about the way that person talks and walks that matches this heavenly calling. So the idea here is that you are to live in a way that measures up to the value of your salvation. And so this raises uh, an obvious question. What value do you place on your salvation? What value do you place on your complete and total acceptance with God? What value do you place on the love of God? What value do you place on being made alive with Christ when you were once dead in your sins and trespasses? What value do you place on your salvation when you were once an object of wrath, but now you are an object of his love? So Paul is saying you're to live in a way that shows the value of that or shows that you value that. A guy named Wayne Barber uh, said, the value of your salvation is going to determine how you live. Or, I think the way I would understand that maybe a little bit better is, the value that you place on your salvation will determine how you're going to live. Uh, There's just a lot of truth in that. So, how you go about living your life is, in measure at least, a reflection of, on how radically blessed you believe yourself to be in Christ, or not. You know, when something has value to you, uh, you, you respect it. So in a sense, Paul is saying, out of respect for your calling, this is how it is appropriate for you to live. Out of respect for who you have become by the grace of God, out of respect for the riches you have received, out of respect for being seated with the Father in Christ, this is how you conduct yourselves. It means that you highly value what God has done for you and that you're careful to show that by every word you speak, every, you know, every move you make, Every, whatever this, however the song goes, but everything you do, you show, you show that you that you're careful to show that you value this. Um, years ago, and I, as I recall, it was Peggy Noonan, uh, Ronald Reagan's speechwriter, who said that when Ronald Reagan was elected president of the United States, he made a commitment, a decision that he would never go into the Oval Office without putting on a suit coat, out of his respect 
for the office of the presidency. You know, he understood this concept that there, there, is, there is behavior that is consistent with the honor of the office. And, and Paul is saying in Ephesians 1, there is behavior that is consistent with the honor of the office of being a saint and a son. So you and I are to live in a manner that is consistent with the office and the riches that we hold. And not to be too redundant, but the entire book of Ephesians preaches this message. If, if, you know, if you really want to understand this message, study the little book of Ephesians. Chapters 1 and 2 talk all about your riches, your status, your position, everything that you've received as a sheer act of grace, sainthood, every spiritual blessing in Christ, sonship, the forgiveness of sins, made objects of his love, chosen to be holy and blameless, predestined to be to the praise of the glory of his grace, made alive with Christ, and of course raised up and seated with him in the heavenly places, brought near to God through the blood of Jesus. And that's just a few of them, but it's just all, it's, it's just wealth, just all this wealth you have. Then chapter 3 is basically a prayer for the realization of these truths. There's fantastic prayers in here that we would that we would realize these things, that we would grasp all this through a work of the Spirit in our inner being. And then chapter 4 addresses the question, how should people who have received such blessings live? So that's what we're going to teach about for the next several weeks. And we're, we're going to try to keep this connection between you know, the new covenant blessings, then how do we respond to that? How should people who have received such blessings live? The Bible tells us there, there's a certain way that we should live, and there is. Now, just a couple of things that I'd like us to be, to be clear on on this is, number one, uh, how we live is not some kind of uh, tit-for-tat tit or some sort of payback. It, it is a response, okay? It is a response. Uh, but it is not a payback like you have somebody over for dinner and then they have, they have you over for dinner, you know? Uh, it just is not like that. We could never pay back God for all the status and wealth and love that he has given us. It's not possible. Second, grace is a gift. And Paul makes that point in Romans that if you could, if, if you could work out of an obligation for it, it's, it's no longer a gift. So he just wants you to know that you have this wealth, this position, this status, this seat, right of honor, right next to the Father. You have that as a gift. And so you live in this, this manner worthy of the gift because of who you are now, what you have now, and where you are going now. Uh, Ephesians 5.8 puts it very clear. You were once darkness, but now you are light. Walk as children of light. Second, uh, these instructions that we're going to get into, and we're not going to get into them very far this morning, but these instructions that we're going to be looking at how to live in a manner worthy of the Lord, these instructions are for those who have new life. They are for people who have 
the life for people who are born again, for people who have the Spirit of God dwelling in them, for people who have Christ in them. Uh, If even one person here does not have the new birth or a new heart from God, we are not trying to tell you just to be a better person. And that's what we mean that, you know, that the Christianity is not just uh, uh, moral reform. It's, it's not just living a moral life. Having this, or living this new life is not for dead people. Uh, dead people cannot walk in the manner that Paul is going to tell us to walk. Dead people cannot walk no matter how much they are urged, pushed, or prodded. No matter how much pressure of guilt is put on them, they will not live this way, at least in a real way. And a person who resists living this way, who consistently does not live this way, who does not really desire to live this way, most likely needs to be saved. But... For those who have new life from God, those who are regenerated, as the scripture says, those who are born again, those with new life from, from God will find this new way, that this new way of living matches their new heart. All the things that Paul is going to tell us to do, you're going to find that, you know, that's really what's in my heart now that I know the Lord. None of us will find it easy, but this new manner of living corresponds to what we are now. It corresponds to what we want to be now. These these instructions for living correspond to what the Spirit of God is already working in you and empowering you and calling you to do. So these commands line up with your new self. I hope that makes sense to people because it is really important. Number three, this is a weighty instruction to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Paul begins by saying, I, Paul, as a prisoner of the Lord, I have something to say to you. He identifies himself in this way for a couple of reasons. One, I think, to show his apostolic authority. He is a prisoner of the Lord. He's an apostle who has suffered. So he he states this to show his apostolic authority, which gives great power to what he has to say. And it also gives great power to his words by showing that he himself has taken these matters so seriously as to land himself in prison for it. In other words, he is willing to walk this walk. He's not calling us to do something he hasn't done. He's not calling us to do something he hasn't taken totally seriously. And words that come from someone like that always carry great authority. From someone who is paying a price, who's living the life and paying a price to live that life. Their words have authority. And so Paul goes on to say, I urge you, or I beseech you, I appeal to you, Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. This is important. Your walk does matter. 
Living in unity does matter. How you speak to your wife or husband does matter. How you do your job at work does matter. The kind of language you use does matter. The way you treat people does matter. Your attitudes do matter. I urge you, I beseech you to live in this manner. And so beginning with chapter 4 of Ephesians, the Holy Spirit tells us through Paul how we are to treat each other, how we are to speak. He tells neighbors and church members how to live in light of our heavenly calling. He tells parents, husbands, wives, children, employers, employees, how to live in light of our heavenly calling. So, what are the specifics of this life that is worthy of the Lord? Well, we're going to break that down over the next several weeks, but in general, I want to say this, and this is not going to be so specific, but I think it's really, really important to get this big picture concept of how we are to live. What does this life look like that is worthy of the Lord? Well, we are to live in a supernatural way, in a way that is different from the way that we used to live, in a way that is contrary to our old human nature. In other words, really the things that Paul is asking us to do in these next three chapters, 4, 5, and 6 of Ephesians, really is not something that an unbeliever should even be able to do. He's calling us to live on a a much higher plane, on a higher plane that can only match the new life that we've received in Christ. So, we are to, to behave and respond in a way that often goes counter to human reasoning and human, even human feelings. And if, you, if you're still living by your human feelings and by just what you feel like doing, what you feel like saying, you're not walking in a manner worthy of the Lord that Paul is telling us about here. We are seated with Christ in a heavenly place, and we are to walk in a heavenly way down here in this world. It is not a natural walk. It is not a man-made walk. It is not a walk that you can work up on your own. Uh, It is not a walk that follows human counsel, but follows the counsel of the Spirit of God. So as we see in the rest of the book of Ephesians, we we are not called, as I said, just to be respectable, good, moral people. Now certainly we are to do that. But... We are called to something far beyond that. And that's, that's, that's really what I, what, I, what I want you to get. Instead of getting, we're not going to talk about, you know, husbands and wives and children, all, everything that we're supposed to do. I, I want you to get this big picture that we are called to something higher than the natural human living. We are called to love people with the very love of God. We are to, called to forgive people, other people, just as we have been forgiven. We are called to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's a a supernatural thing. We're called to be filled with the Spirit, to sing and make melody in our hearts. Those are supernatural things. We're called to live in submission to one another out of reverence for Christ. It might be the most most supernatural thing. (laughs) 
It, it again, is no longer life on a human plane. It, it is life on a higher plane. It is to be a heavenly life lived on this earth and in this world in all of our relationships. You know, many people, I think, view becoming a Christian as, okay, I became a Christian, so this is, this is me finally learning to do the right things. And now that I have finally learned to see the right things to do, I see how others are not doing the right things. So my calling now in life is about seeing to it that my relatives and friends and my spouse all do the right thing too. But the Christian life is not a call to be right and to to demand that others be right too. It is a call to be heavenly and to show others my heavenly reaction and response to them and to life. We are called to show people Christ, in short, as we'll, we'll see throughout these remaining chapters. And one more quote from Watchman Nee from Sit, Watch, Stand. Nothing has done more damage to our Christian testimony than our trying to be right and demanding right of others. And again, it's just, it's because our standard is so much higher than that. It's like, that's, it's, that's, that's not our, that's not our, our rationale. That's, that's, that's not our modus operandi or however you say it. It's not our, it's just not our mode of operation. Our standard is much higher. We do not, primarily, we do not have something to demand of others. We have something to give others. We give grace to others like we have been given grace. Love to others like we have been given love. Forgiveness to others like we have been shown forgiveness. Patience toward others like God has shown mercy and patience with us. We go beyond what is right or fair to what is like God. Number three. Our walk is not something unreal or mystical. Parts of our relationship with God are mystical. Okay, Parts of our relationship with God are what we would call very spiritual, or they're, they're very inward, or they're experienced in our heart, with our spirit, between our, heart, our spirit and the Holy Spirit. There's something, sort of what I would call mystical about that. But your walk is not mystical. Your walk is as plain as the nose on your face. It shows in every word you speak, in every conversation, in every attitude you express. You can't be walking in a manner worthy of the Lord and have it not show. This is something people are to see. And I can almost hear somebody say, I mean, what do you, what do you expect me to be perfect or what, you know? No, we're not perfect. But we are to be on the path to perfection. As we walk this out, yes, that is where we're going. That is the path of progress. But never forget, um, all of this, all of our walk that we're going to talk about, all the things that we're, going to, that we're going to get into, all the specifics, never forget, all of this comes out of our position of sitting with the Father in Christ. When you are at rest spiritually, uh, knowing your status of love, acceptance, and, and, and salvation, uh, then your walk will come 
at least more naturally. It will be a response to that. All right, for applications this morning, um, number one, there is a place for strongly urging people to live in a certain way. All right, even though, you know, we talk about the amazing grace that we've all received, the love, acceptance, forgiveness, and the riches in Christ, and that, that we have to have that as our, like our, our foundation, okay? But there is a place for urging people to live in a certain way. Paul did this. If we are good pastors and elders, we will do this. If you are a true friend to someone, there may be or will be situations or times where you will do this. There's a time to go to someone and say, you know, I urge you to live in this manner because this is consistent with the calling that you have received, or at least words to that effect. So, you know, if if somebody uh, does that to you, challenges you on something, an area of life, you know, don't say, hey, where's the grace man, or why are you putting me under the law, you know. There, there, there is a place. There is a place for ur- strongly urge, urging a certain kind of behavior. Uh, number two, in strongly urging people to live in a certain way, we should always set before them the great realities of our salvation. In other words, we don't just tell people what they should be doing. I mean, if if if, ch- if that's what church is, if 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 all we do is just to get up here on a Sunday morning. And we tell you how you should be living. That's not the gospel. I mean, that is not Christianity. Uh, what we're talking about this morning is is Christianity. So we don't just tell people what they should be doing. You know, you need to get your kids under control. Or you better stop watching that stuff, or whatever. You know, you better stop talking like that. Um, we love them enough to address those things, but we do that along with reminding them of who they are. Uh, you say, you know, dear friend, you're, you're a man of God or you're a woman of God and, and here's how a person with your place in the kingdom of God does these things or should do these things. Here, here's how a person with your status of acceptance and grace in God should, should behave in this situation. And I love you enough that I'm gonna that I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you that, but I'm gonna tell you in a way that reminds you of who of who you are. When I was a little boy, uh, I remember sitting next to my cousin Craig at a family reunion down at my grandma Henry's farm in Indianola. And during our potluck dinner, uh, Craig thought it would be funny to put a scoop of homemade ice cream on the top of his brother's head. And his his dad saw what went down. And I have this very vivid picture burned into my memory of my Uncle Merrill yanking Craig up out of his seat. No words were spoken. He came over here. He yanked Craig up out of his seat at the picnic table and suspending him in midair by his arm as he carried him across the yard to Grandma's house. He... I'm tempted to use the word beat, but I'll say he spanked his bottom very hard with his other hand all the way across the yard and into the house. Now, I grew up knowing what a spanking was, but I'd never seen anything like this. 
and it kind of left me in a state of shock. And it's easy to have sort of an Uncle Merrill response when we see Christians do something wrong. You know, we, we just want to yank them up out of their chair and kind of kick them in the rear end all the way across the yard. And now I believe there is a place for, for firm rebuke, and I actually firmly believe there's a place for disciplining kids. And actually, I don't think Craig ever put ice cream in his brother's hair again after this. There is a place for that. But so people need some, some, some discipline, some stern rebuke, but they need to be talked to, too. They need, they need to be loved along with that. Just like your kids, they need discipline, but they lead, need love right along with that. They need to know how loved and accepted they are along with the discipline. And Christians need the same thing. They might need a rebuke, but they need to be re- reminded of their calling, too. They need to be reminded of why they're hearing this instruction. They need to know who they are, be reminded of who they are in Christ. Uh, Number three, uh, under applications still, in case you lost where we're at after that story. Uh, Your basic purpose in life is right here in Ephesians 4.1. I know there's you know different things that you could say as your purpose in life for me to live as Christ or I'm to live to the praise of the glory of his grace or whatever. Not 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 downplaying any other statement, but your purpose for for life is right here. I urge you then to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. In the face of trials, whatever trials you're going through, in the face of evil, in the face of worldliness all around you, in the face of relationship problems, in the face of world problems, in the face of hurt feelings, in the face of disappointment, in the face of financial disaster, here is what you are to do. Live a life worthy of the high and holy and heavenly calling to which you have been called. That's that's a goal and a vision for your life that will captivate your heart. I mean it's a big enough it's a big enough purpose. It's an all consuming, all encompassing purpose that is big enough to captivate your heart. It will fill your days with and your life with purpose. Your purpose in life is not to win It is not to get your way. It is not to have the best life for you or as as good a life as you think somebody else is having. Your purpose in life is not to be right or to be proven right. Your vision for your life is to increasingly understand and appreciate the great realities of your salvation and then to go live in a manner consistent uh, with your glorious calling. And that that really should keep us all absorbed for the rest of our lives here on this earth. And fourth and last application, and I think this is this is really important. Go to the scriptures to find out what kind of living is consistent with your calling. Okay? Don't look at how other Christians you know are living 
who may not care that much about pleasing Christ. Okay, and I want, and I want to say this in a kind way. I mean, don't, don't look at your lukewarm Christian friends and decide, okay, well, if they're living that way and getting by with it, that's the way I could live too. The scripture tells us not only how blessed we are in Christ, but they also tell us how to walk in a manner worthy of that blessing. And so I urge you, I urge you to allow the scriptures to create for you this vision or this picture of life on a higher plane. And that you wouldn't be content to live on a lower plane just because you're looking at either somebody else or something else other than the scriptures to tell you what a life that is lived worthy of the calling you have received looks like. So we want to go to the Bible to find out what this life, what this new life looks like. This Allow the things, um, and this, this is just an exhortation to you as we go through this series, to, to allow the things that we will talk about over the next week let that call you to a higher plane of living and speaking and thinking that is fitting to saints and sons of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, for your truth, and really your word and your truth is um, it is so much from you and not from earth. It is so much from heaven and not from this world. It is so much supernatural and not natural that if, if we don't listen to what you have to say, we will be totally confused or disoriented about the, what the Christian life really is. And we thank you, God, for just so clearly laying it out for us here in the book of Ephesians and really, in a sense, in this, this single verse that we have studied and delved into this morning. So, Lord, we, uh, we come to you, we present ourselves to you. We are so uh, privileged and so blessed to be your children, um, to be so accepted, to be seated right with you in Christ. We are just so overwhelmingly, immensely blessed, Lord. And so we want to learn how to live in response to these blessings of the new covenant that you purchased for us by your blood. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.